You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. All right, welcome to the Drawing Board Podcast. This is the founder and the host, Andre Ebron. And as we do every time, uh, every Tuesday from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., we have powerful, thought-provoking conversations that challenges you all as the listeners to examine your life and to reimagine the possibilities. Well, I realized over the, it's almost been, it's going on two years this coming October that I have been uh, facilitating the Drawing Board podcast. And so tonight I just wanted to take some time uh, to appreciate everyone who has supported me along this journey, uh, take some time to acknowledge our sponsors, which is Ebron and Associates, a consulting firm where we consult, develop, and support personal, professional, organizational transformation. Also to appreciate our sponsors, The Viger Group. Uh, you should check their website out, thevigergroup.com, uh, for all of your marketing. They are a full-service marketing firm that can meet all of your marketing needs. I also want to take the time to just appreciate every guest that have appeared via either Zoom or appeared, came in studio. Uh, I've had a chance to interview some amazing people, uh, such as Tammy Turner, uh, Jesse Cole, uh, James Hill. Uh, Let me think. It's so many people. Lance Woods, David Woods, um, Marv Pete, D.K. Williams. Uh, Let me think of some more people. Uh, Angelita, Coach Angelita. I've had a chance to interview uh, Robert Unique Courtney. Uh, I've had a chance to interview so many people. My pastor, the chief apostle, Dr. Carolee Dixon. I've had a chance to interview uh, Dawn Smith, who is the the author of uh, the book entitled, the journal entitled Enough. I've had a chance to interview Theopolis Smith, better known as Fresh Laundry. So, I mean, the the list goes on. Shane, uh, Coach Shane with Shane Fitness 101. I've had a chance to interview so many dynamic people. Jaquise Purefoy, uh, who is definitely Eat, Play, Detroit. Um, I've been doing amazing things uh, within the city of Detroit and keeping everybody on their toes, keeping it alive and keeping it light. I've had a chance to interview my wife and my children. I've had a chance to interview so many dynamic and amazing people. And I wanted to take the time because somebody asked me this week, they're like, Ebron, what do you actually do? We know you've got the book. We know you've got the podcast. We know. So I just wanted to take some time to, I'm interviewing so many people. I just wanted to share, uh, be open with you all. So I made a post asking, what are some of the questions that you may have of me? Some of the questions that, or ideas or comments or things that you may want to debate or share. And so I just wanted to share what it is that, a couple of things that I do. Uh, I am a Dean of Culture and Climate for Detroit Public Schools Community District, which that's a huge conversation uh, that we can have as it relates to our schools uh, safe enough for us to return. Should we be returning to schools? What are the plans moving forward as it relates to keeping everyone safe and socially distancing for the 2020-2021 school year? Uh, What does it look like about remediating and accelerating the learning of youth using the virtual learning platforms? What is our plan? And I'll be honest, no one has, um, everyone has ideas 
uh, but no one has a real solid answer that is going to minister to the needs across the uh, very demographics that exist within Michigan. So when we're looking at the rural, urban, and suburban, the needs are so drastically different that Michigan Department of Education is going to have to really diversify their approach as it relates to tackling the needs of each community. And that is when equity begins to start happening. So what am I saying? I'm saying that everyone uh, who's thinking about making decisions as it relates to us returning to school should take a fair, just, and equitable approach to make sure that the needs of each community that is impacted by their decision is adequately represented and adequately served. That is what I'm saying. So no one has a real answer. Um, and what hangs in the balance of making these decisions uh, is human life, uh, human potential. And those are things that cannot be taken for granted. Again, the ideas that I express on this show are those solely of mine, not representing any entity that I work for, except for Ebron and Associates and the Drawing Board Nation. Let me make that very clear. Also, uh, I started a business, Ebron and Associates. We consult, develop, and support personal, professional, and organizational transformation. Uh, one of my essential goals uh, is to ensure that everyone that I come in contact with that they actualize and manifest it to their full potential. So I ask people when we, get, when we get engaged in work, are they looking to go from average to exceptional, from potential to performance, from effectiveness to greatness? That is when you engage with Ebron and Associates. Uh, then I started, I wrote a book entitled The Drawing Board, hence the podcast that you're viewing me on. Uh, the Drawing Board is a book. It's a powerful, thought-provoking testimonial that challenges the reader to examine their life and reimagine the possibilities. Uh, I asked this question, and I ask you this question tonight. Have you fully exhausted all of the possibilities that exist within your current opportunities? And I can answer that for you now. Uh, the answer for that is probably no. Uh, when you look at your family, uh, your family has a rhythm. There are patterns there, whether they be patterns uh, healthy patterns that tend to success, prosperity, and peace, or whether they be patterns of dysfunction that lead to chaos and and uh, people and harm, right? So you have to look at, look, take a different view of your family. Uh, the things, the challenges that you have been through expresses that you also have a high capacity of resilience. So when we talk about trauma, we also in the same breath should be magnifying the ability to be resilient. How do I know you have a high capacity of resilience? Because you have gone through what you've experienced and you are yet moving forward. We need to give ourselves credit for the victories that have been won. And of course, you know, my foundation will always be a foundation of faith. So there is no victory set apart from Jesus Christ. There is no victory set apart from grounding yourself in the biblical principles that tend to victory. Now, thanks be unto God who does what? Who gives us the victory and causes us to triumph. So for me, that's where victory, res victory lies. And so you need to give yourself the credit of even enduring what it is that you have experienced. So here's where I always challenge mental health professionals, where I challenge those doing the work in social services as well as I challenge myself that if we are going to have the conversation about trauma, we must do so in a balanced way and represent also the ability to be resilient. Because if I magnify your trauma and we don't present the hope of resilience, then all that does is begin to uh, re-victimize or to present pain without a plausible solution. 
So that is why trauma and resilience, it is a threaded conversation that is knit jointly together so that people can overcome what they have experienced. There is hope for that. There is a plan for that. There are strategies for that. You can overcome what you have been through. And let me just take this point of privilege and say, you are not what you have been through, that your life cannot be confined or contained to the things that have victimized and or hurt you. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. God has a plan for your life. And that guess what? We like to magnify Jeremiah 29 and 11, but drop down a few verses to verse 13, because verse 13 says, if you seek for me, this is the Lord speaking, you shall find me when you search for me with your whole heart. So if you're going to go after your purpose, go after it with full abandonment, uh, leaving your past behind you and moving forward to the future that is yet before you. I put on my Twitter today. I said, if you are going to consider the details of your past, please remember the, the, what God has promised you concerning your future. To remember means to put in remembrance the things that God has promised you. He'd given us dominion over the fish of the sea, fowl of the air, the beast of the field, every creepy thing that creepeth upon the earth. We have dominion uh, and we have the ability. Everybody is talking today. I have a question. I had a question given to me. And so I'm going to address these questions throughout. And if you have a question, please make sure you comment. I'm looking for the comments. I'm looking for you to say something. And uh, when you say something, I'll respond to you real in real time. The question was, what are my viewpoints on liberation theology? And how do I envision the black church rewatering its roots in the roots of activism and being the catalyst that not only promotes and supports social activism, but grows the next generation of leaders, activists, social change agents. So that's a, that is a uh, question with a part A and a part B. And I think the, the entire goal in questioning or asking my viewpoint, because the answer is kind of presented uh, within the question. When we talk about liberation theology, we're talking about the specifically, uh, he mentions the black church. We're talking about the responsibility of the church to handle the social issues that tend to plague or uh, challenge the parishioners, the members uh, of that particular congregation. Uh, and here's what we have to have to be clear on is that when we when we look at liberation theology is rooted in the fact that we have a responsibility to the poor, to the indigent, to the less fortunate, those without. What are we doing as a church community to bridge the gap for those who are without? So I believe that the, when we study God or when we study the responsibility of the church uh, in the earth, we have to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is already a gospel of liberation. Now, what it is, our, what, what boots on the ground action do we have? What responsibility is ours? Well, the Bible denotes that we shall have the poor among us always. So that's where our giving our alms kicking in. And we're able to support the needs of those who are weary and without. So that's where we support those through programming. Uh, we have food programming. We have uh, the ability to meet housing needs. And here, this is where strategic partnerships comes to place. Because a lot of parishioners, a lot of members show up to the building of the church or contact the church leaders. And they expect the church to be a one-stop shop 
for spiritual and material needs. God bless you, sir. Oh, Byron. Uh, yeah, Byron Brooks. We're talking about uh, the question that you asked. And so we have to realize, and this is where some church leaders will get exhausted because they don't have the bandwidth to answer the social needs that exist within their own community. So that's where strategic partnerships and allies kick in. And that's when you start partnering with some of the food pantries. That's when you start partnering with some of the other civic organizations that are aligned to meet those needs. Because just because the need exists within your congregation or community, it does not mean that you are well equipped to meet that need. So instead of you giving a mediocre effort, you should partner with those who are experts in that particular field and meeting that need. Because here's two things. Number one, uh, the parishioners or the members needs end up being met. Number two, you end up partnering with someone based upon their core strength. Number three, it engenders a relationship between the civic organizations that serve the same demographic that you serve and the church organization. So you end up being that church without walls that's not limited, A, number one, to the delegation of your budget. Number two, you begin to build community. So when talking about answering your questions about liberation theology and what place does it fit uh, in the context of reactivating, rewatering those seeds of activism, that are within our organization. And so I don't think that those seeds of activism uh, have actually gone untended to. I think they're just showing up in ways that we're not used to engaging. So activism on one hand looks like disruption on the other hand. And so when you see a disruption, particularly namely from the youth who haven't necessarily procured the wisdom or the methodology of their predecessors, they are acting out in disruptive ways to bring change. So when you talk about activism, you're talking about what's going to bring the social change that's needed. And what we have to do now is we have to inform their disruption and guess what? Equip them with the tools necessary to bring about the change systemically. So we can, we can definitely uh, ally with our community partners to bring change, but here's what we must do. We must educate ourselves, and I'm not talking about in the form of not just formal education going through those 12 years. I'm talking about our activism must be fully informed because some people can be, be, be extremely passionate, but they lack the competence to bring the necessary change. So when they engage with policymakers who are able to change things, they cannot adequately articulate the point that's going to bring systemic change for the people that they're advocating for. So number one, in that when you talk about um, you know bringing liberation to people, the advocates must be fully informed, not just passionate. And so you must become aware of how these systems work. So before you criticize the system, before you begin to try to fight against the system, our goal is to become informed about how the system works. Because the levies won't change just because you scream. The levies won't change just because injustice presents itself. The, the proper pressure applied to the levies that will break the dam and cause change to come to pass is when we infiltrate. Means that we get in. Infiltrate was a strong word. When we get involved. And if we don't. And guess what? We must be involved in the dismantling of the systems 
that don't bring an equitable approach to the people you're advocating for. But if you stand on the outside of the system advocating for the change, your voice is easy to mute because the only thing that will be presented to a voice screaming outside of a building is a symbol of equity and justice. And it will appease them to a point there will be some type of provision for a direct need that is presented. And in some way, it will quench the thirst of the advocate. Or here's what has to happen, especially when we place the responsibility on the church as it relates to um, the liberation theology of presenting not only the gospel in a way that educates and forms and liberates people spiritually, but you asked specifically about uh, bringing leaders to the forefront or educating the generation. So you've been hearing for years, especially uh, in a biblical context, that this next generation, and they always say the next generation, is the Joshua generation. The Joshua generation who is radical, full of faith, ready to move ahead, but who still needs to develop another level of intimacy so that they don't just become a poor replica of Moses whom he followed. What did God tell Moses? What did God tell Joshua? As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. Now we know Moses was a uh, likened to a prophet who saw God, what? Face to face. Moses had such an intimacy with God when he got in God's presence, got the dictates, the law, the Ten Commandments. His face shone with such glory that they had to put something over his face because it was too bright for the people. Also, that when Moses spoke to God, that the people said, hey, listen, God, don't speak directly to us. Speak, speak to him and allow him to speak to us. What has to happen for the Joshua generation? There has to be a level of study that they become committed to, committed to. I'm a part of that generation. I know a lot of people think I might be a Gen Xer. I have the blessing of being right on that cusp. So I'm actually a millennial, but I was around baby boomers. And I'm, I'm, I generally socialize with people who are a part of Generation X. So I'm like that. I would say like the, uh, the perfect blend, right, is that I have some millennial tendencies that where I'm always looking to break the status quo or disrupt what's happening that's just going along to get along. But I also have the wisdom to know from listening to the baby boomers that say, if you're going to open your mouth and speak, have something of substance to say that will do a couple things, that will edify, that will exhort, and that will comfort the people that you are speaking to. So it's not enough to just know the problem and speak out about it, but you must present Guess what? Some solutions. So, Brother brother Brooks, when we're talking about lifting this next generation, uh, as leaders, what we must do is we must find what are, listen, what are the terms of engagement, the rules of engagement as you begin to prepare the next generation? Because they're not just going to acquiesce to your request without having input. Yeah. And so what has to happen is, there has to be a mutual exchange of ideas, a mutual exchange of agreement. Uh, there must be common goals, shared experiences, and that we must begin to serve side by side so that they learn experientially as they watch you go forth. And that is how we cultivate this next generation of leadership, is that we allow them the space to make mistakes where it won't be injurious to the entire mission, but that we cultivate their potential as they go along. My pastor would say it like this. Chief apostle would say, 
It is our responsibility to teach, train, educate, and equip. Those four things, to teach, to train, to educate, and equip. And without the teaching, then they'll go out uninformed. Without the educating, educating, I'm talking about more than just, uh, you know, a download of information. Education is not just about mental ascension. It's about teaching things that are concerning the heart. When that, when that thought begins to drop down from just your mind and get into your heart, we know scripture says that word, where does he speak to the heart of man? So a lot of times when we see this biblical uh, reference and he's speaking to the heart, God is really talking about the mind. He's speaking about the mind. So until the mind is adequately prepared, what will happen is they'll launch out there to boldly advocate, but they aren't prepared to sustain or endure the personal challenges and the attacks that have come spiritually, that come professionally, because there is a cost to advocacy. Let me tell you the cost as it relates biblically, it cost Jesus Christ his life. When he filled the gap as an intercessor, it cost him his life in order to redeem that was lost. So for those of us that call ourselves Christian leaders, biblical leaders, uh, question about uh, liberation theology, until you are ready to lose your life, and I'm not talking about in death, I'm talking about to die daily to what it is that you endeavor and to fully commit to what is our first mission as the church. Our first mission as the church is to get the good news out there, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then when we realize that is our primary mission, then those goals that fall under that of sustaining an environment by meeting the needs of the people that allows them to hear us long enough that they go from being parishioners and members to now disciples, watch this, of Christ. Because when you have a congregation of disciples, the disciples are committed to the work. And so that's where I am with that question. Thank you for that question, uh, Brother Brooks. I appreciate. Uh, and, and listen, that's an ongoing question. Uh, I don't want anybody to hear that and think that that is the only way. That is a perspective of, of what should happen. That is a perspective of what is happening. That is a perspective of the work that I am committed to uh, through my church, Kano's International Church. At Kano's, you will serve. And when you have an opportunity, watch this, an opportunity to serve, you learn a lot about God because you learn how to walk in love. Because people who are a lot of times in needs, they, well, I'll give it to you from an educational perspective. It says that sometimes people who have, uh, who need the greatest love, ask for love in the most unloving ways. Which means that when Christ be formed in us, when he's perfected in us, that you will be given the ability to walk in love with people. Watch this. And that love will, will become all things to all men that you might save them. So you might need to be a counselor. You might need to be a, a, a friend that day. You might need to be an ear that they listen to. You might need to provide groceries that day. You might need to just take a long walk. You might need to pray and lay hands. Like you have to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit as he would tell you, what that person's need actually is. Because a lot of times it won't be the actual request that is the material need. Have you ever had somebody ask you for one thing, but the actual need is something else? 
And so when you provide that need because you didn't get to the core of what the real challenge was, that that need continues to present itself. And so you're saying, okay, hey, listen, this person has to, you know, not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of their mind. So this is going to bless somebody. And I didn't intend to go into this much depth about this particular thing. But when you are providing a basic need for someone and there is no opportunity for evangelism or teaching and training and sharing of the word or having the ability to engage or to converse about things that will help shape and change their mind to educate and inform them, then what will happen is no matter what level of support you provide, it will be squandered because you're pouring new wine into old wineskins. And every time that you pour in a resource, the, the wineskins burst because the mind has not developed the capacity to receive and do something different with what the blessing that you have given. So that's some things that we have to look at. And that's why I'm so happy to see uh, all of the people who are coming on, whether you have a podcast or what have you, uh, who are sharing the truth of God's word and doing it from a position of love. Because without, watch this, with, well, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But scripture tells us that faith worketh by love. So the message of faith must be coupled with the message of love because it is love that got this party started. God so loved the world that he gave. And so if you are ministering the word of God in any capacity, shape, form or fashion, and you're ministering that word of faith or that prayer of faith, and it is not proportionate to the measure of love that is being extended, you won't see many miracles. But when Christ was moved with compassion, then the miracles begin to happen. The widow woman, uh, when you see Old Testament, which is the type and the shadow of Christ, the women, widow woman at Zarephath who was sustained by her obedience to the prophet. When you see the woman at the well with Jesus Christ, when she obeyed and she received the word, she perceived that he was a prophet, only not knowing she was entertaining the Messiah. When people stop normalizing the message of the gospel as something ordinary, but it is a powerful supernatural word of God that comes to liberate, save, heal, and deliver, then we will see the power and the impact and see deliverance, healing, salvation, all of those things that we read about in the Old Testament church, New Testament times, when you see the early church and all of the miracles, uh, because the gospel was revered. It was revered to the fact that even those who didn't want to accept it fought against it so much that they were killing the people who were bringing it because they knew it was not an ordinary word. But it was the supernatural proclamation that hung on the sacrifice that Jesus made that he was killed, buried, and resurrected for our liberation. All right. Question number two, because I can keep going on about that. Uh, what was this is from my brother, uh, my brother Yusef Shakur. Love you, brother. We did work together um, for Head Start years ago. This is Wow, man, it's, you know, it's nearly almost been 20 years uh, since we worked together. Almost 20 years, about 15 or 16. Uh, yeah, about, yeah, 14 or 15 years, but nearly two decades. Uh, and the things that he's gone on to do, uh, which are revolutionary and impacting the lives, particularly of young men, building a community center, uh, putting the neighbor back in the hood. Yeah, I remember my brother. Uh, but one of the questions uh, that you asked me was, what was my biggest lesson 
on becoming the person and the man that I am today. So uh, the biggest lesson that I have been taught uh, and the biggest lesson that I have learned along the way is to think for myself. Um, that is something that my mom, uh, she conditioned and taught me years ago, is that uh, to be willing to go against the fray, uh, if that is the thought that I have, but also be willing to uh, humble myself when truth shows up. So truth demands a response. And your response to truth is either acceptance or rejection. There is no middle line. And your adherence to that acceptance or your refusal and rejection will determine your outcome. Because acceptance of truth, it begins to embed itself in the intention of the man. Scripture says many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's God's intent that will last forever. So when you begin to accept truth, it begins to reshape your intent. And it is your intent that brings alignment to your life. And so I don't have to try to be like anybody else. Uh, I don't have to be envious of anybody else. I don't have to, as long as I'm able to think, then what? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Then I begin to not find myself in an identity crisis because I am fully aware, watch this, and I'm fully informed about what I think. Here's how I process. Uh, my spirit informs what I think. So spirit realm first, then to that cognitive space, the soulish realm. So it's my spirit first. My spirit informs my mind, my will, my emotions. My Well, my mind, my will, which is my soul, my su the suke, your mind, your will, your emotions. And so when I feel something, because emotions are real, I, I'll tell you, uh, with everything that is going on, uh, had I not been uh, trained and taught, educated and equipped to be able to self-regulate and to uh, Dr. Underwood, Dr. Oscar J. Dowdell Underwood, Apostle, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Cathedral of Praise International. Had he not given us the fraction of I over E, intellect over emotion, uh, then, of course, emotionally, I would be ready to tear some things up, uh, to see my brothers gunned down, shot down, knee on neck killed in the streets, to hear uh, people give uh, rationalizations for ending the life of any human being on the basis of their position, it, it will infuriate you. It infuriated me. And see, it's one thing when you go uh, beyond, the, the, beyond the, the position of being hurt. So my, my natural, uh, I'm raised by a Marine. So my natural default to anything that was seeking to hurt or harm is I was taught to destroy. You know, <laughs> my mom said, there's no such thing as a gentleman's fight. And so if you are going to fight, you fight until the end. Uh, if you're going to engage, then, but here's the thing. When your spirit informs your intellect, your intellect informs your emotions, then not only will it produce a peaceable outcome, but it will manifest the will of God. Yeah. And here's what happens. That takes a level of discipline because sure, I, I was infuriated. Mad is the next person. Uh, but as a leader, I had to make sure that I gauge my response so that people did not follow my lead in anger. It, you can be righteously a righteous indignation uh, and you can be angry and not and sin not. But make sure that people were looking to the solution and not just to the problem. Because the more that we magnify the problem, 
without magnifying the solution, it begins to produce this emotive response that tends to destruction. So the greatest thing that I've learned for myself, man, greatest lesson that have determined the man that I have become uh, is my ability to think for myself uh, and to always challenge myself to think higher thoughts. For me, the word of God, the Bible is the highest form of reality. Um, when I'm looking at biblical truth, I'm looking at the highest form of reality. And so that is what informs me. It's worked for me thus far. And so I can I won't give you, as my pastor always say, son, we don't we can't preach from theory. We can only preach from practice. So I can only present to you that which I have used uh, in a very practical sense, sense that has brought peace in my life. De-escalating people working in a social service realm when I was a social worker for uh, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Social worker when I worked private agency foster care. Social worker when I worked for um, uh, Southeast Children and Family Development Head Start. And so dealing in, and being in the community, being a black man in the community who's faced with the exact same challenges that other black men are faced with. And here's the thing. What determines the outcome a lot of times is our response. Is our response of knowing how to respond. And even when sometimes, because I heard somebody just make a comment, the contrary, is sometimes even when we respond the right way, because the intensity of the hatred that exists, which I know to be a spiritual, a manifestation of a spiritual condition, sometimes the outcome is still not one of peace. And that is what we are diligently working toward uh, as we serve our community in the greater Metro Detroit. Uh, there were some, some other questions that exist. So I'm going to look at these questions. I haven't seen any questions uh, kick up here. One of the questions. Oh, OK. No, that was that was pretty much all of the questions that have come forth uh, on the feed. But uh, another question that or something that I'll share with you all. And we have about 20 minutes left in, in this live is that I am working on the second book. Yes, it's exciting. I am I am super excited about it. Uh, you're going to see some collateral coming forth. Uh, but you know, the this is almost like a series uh, that's coming forth. So the first book was the drawing board. The second book, come close, come close. The second book is going to be entitled, and it's a workbook. So I hope that you're coming uh, with your uh, hunger and thirst uh, to actualize your full potential that God has placed in you because it's going to require some discipline and some work. So the, the, here's the title of the second book. It's called Reimagine. Writing your destiny one day at a time. So it's going to be a 365 day journal. And we're going to walk through uh, 12 components that I believe, and it's, it's going to be aligned to each month, 12 components that I believe are going to help revolutionize uh, and improve your family, your relationship. If you follow me, you know where I'm going. Your ministry or service, improve your community and improve your career. Can you imagine uh, instead of waiting for the day to dictate to you what will happen, that you wake up with strong declarations and writing out? There's something that happens physiologically when you begin to write out your goals uh, they be, they are not no longer just ideas, but you begin to associate time frames, timelines, 
uh, your goals, your objectives, your action steps, your time frames, your intended outcome, your actual uh, your your expected outcome, and then your actual deliverables. What is it that you have accomplished? And so here's what I'm challenging you to do. The greatest investment you can make is the investment in yourself. I'm going to have some pre-orders coming up. I'm working now to get all the collateral developed. And guess what? I want you to reimagine your life. 2020 will not be the end of your professional life. 2020 will not be the end of the quality of your family. It will not be the end of the quality of your relationships. 2020 may be a shifting time and there may be some kingdom technologies, some information, some some studying that you need to do, some time that you need to invest in those areas, your family relationship, your ministry or service, community and career. There may be some changing of your paradigm that has to be moved in order to engage in a productive way. But guess what? I want you to reimagine it. It has to happen in your mind before it can happen in your life. As a man, what? Think it. So is he. The Latin would say, cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. And that is what I am challenging you to do. Reimagine your marriage being fruitful. I know we have all of this conversation around entanglements, uh, but, but I want you to imagine your marriage entanglement free. <laughs> I want you to, to do the challenging work that comes with loving men. I want you to do the challenging work that comes with loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Women, I want you to respect your husband as the Bible so asked the women to do. I want both of us, man and woman, to submit ourselves to Christ so that we be a reflection of his relationship to the church. Amazing. That's going to take what? Some work and some discipline. It's going to take a whole lot of compassion. Just don't get entangled. All right? So then I want you to also reimagine what your relationship looks like. This has demonstrated and shown that so many people lack the social skills to properly engage beyond their pain. I've been looking through a lot of different Facebook over these last couple months. And these have been some challenging, heart, heart aching, painstaking months where people have been separated from family members, lost family members, people who who were perfectly healthy, uh, you know, became grossly uh, ill and going through all of these challenges. But what we must do is we must continue to reimagine the possibilities. When I pray for people who are sick. I reimagine them being healed based on according, according to the word of God. When I see somebody who is infirm and I'm praying the prayer of faith, I'm imagining that word of God coming to pass right then. And it's time for the weak to say that I'm strong, the poor to say that I'm the poor to say that I'm rich. It's time for the sick to say that I'm healed. Like literally restructuring the molecules, the atoms by seeing it a different way. I know that might sound foolish to some, but literally the Elohistic nature of God that creates anew, who created your body, who created your heart, your liver, your lungs, your all of your internal organs. When you speak the word of God to those organs, they must begin to align themselves. Watch this. 
I can hear Lisa Angel Smith in my ear uh, saying the absence of disease is not the presence of health. So that when God miraculously heals your body, now you have a responsibility to be a steward over your temple. You know you don't need to eat that uh that extra uh pig foot. You know you don't need it. Leave those pig feet alone, hog maws, all all of that other stuff uh that produces disease and decay, and that thing breaking down in your body. Listen, I I know it may sound a little hypocritical. I don't eat pork, and I very rarely eat beef. I'm working on leaving chicken alone. What I need to work on, those who know me, is I need to work on stop drinking that Pepsi. I need to work on that. I need to work on it. So I'm preaching to myself as well. So that's where we are, is that we need to reimagine the possibilities in our health, in our wealth, in our relationships. I have a testimony to share with you, if you have a moment. There was a young man at my school who I know a lot of parents, you all are buying these uh, motorized little small motorbikes um, and kids are riding around the neighborhood in them. Uh, but these are motor vehicles. They go up to like think 60 miles per hour. And if you're in the hood, you know how to tweak the motor a little bit to make it go faster. You know, we're, we're just genius like that. Uh, we always can improve something. Uh, when we get it, we put our stamp on it. But this young man was riding around the neighborhood and he wasn't being as cautious as he needed to be. Uh, he wasn't observing the dangers that exist in cars moving. And also cars weren't being as aware of the young people on these motorbikes as they maybe have needed to be. But this young man blew a stop sign uh, and ran into a moving car. Um, he broke it, all of his limbs. So his arms were broken. His legs were broken. Femur was broken. Skull was cracked. He was in a, a neck brace. Uh, the outcome looked, the projected outcome looked very dismal. They had him induced because of the swelling of the brain. And, you know, they, they can only look at the natural. This is not me criticizing any doctors or anything like that because, we need those essential workers during this time. And they have a responsibility of giving you the facts. I always tell people, give me the facts straight up so that I know how to pray. My pastor taught me that. So don't cookie cut, don't, don't be, don't sugarcoat what the actual um projection of what you think is gonna happen. Give me all the details so that I know how to be extremely specific in my prayer. So that news came back to our school. Thank God for leaders who open up to prayer. Thank God for uh, Brother Curtis Brown, uh, who is the principal, and Sister uh, Kimberly Dawkins, who is the assistant principal, uh, and all of the teachers. Uh, big shout out to all of them. And we have one teacher, uh, Miss Howard, who stays in touch with the family, who is the liaison between the school and the family and stays abreast of his progress. So this happened a couple weeks ago. And it was the, the outcome was looking pretty dismal uh, because of all of the fractures and uh, the recovery time that would be needed, even if there was an option of recovery. Well, we prayed the prayer of faith and we unified our faith, believing God to do the impossible. Here's what I believe. After I prayed the prayer of faith 
and I put God in remembrance of his word of what he said he would do, the outcome is no longer contingent upon natural circumstances. He oversees and he knows. And so now I activate the covenant that I have with him that my responsibility is to decree and declare the word of God in faith, believing that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I'm able to ask, think, or imagine. Watch this. According to the power, the measure of faith that is within me. We prayed that prayer of faith, got a text message either today or yesterday that says that the neck brace was coming off and that the tendons in his neck had, had, had completely healed. That he was speaking, saying that he wanted to go home. He was ready, talking. He was able to say the words, mama. And he was able to say, essentially, he was ready to get up out of there. Now, remember what I told you. This young man had, his arms were broken. He had fractures throughout his arms. His legs were broken. His femur was broken. His skull was cracked. His brain had been swelling. But guess what? Miracle signs and wonders. The rare, the uncommon happened in his life because we prayed the prayer of faith. What am I encouraging you all to do now? Is that when you look at your circumstance, reimagine your life aligning to the word of God. Here's what's going to happen. I guarantee you. Is that when you make those proclamations, those declarations, those decrees, my pastor just was preaching on this uh, on Sunday. Uh, with that word of instruction, there's always going to be a sacrifice there of giving. And hey, listen, the spiritual things be, are foolish to the carnal mind. Can I say that? Am I saying you can pay for a miracle? Absolutely not. Can I say you can release your faith and that your offering will be a point of contact that activates your faith because it is a principle? That you will sow what it is, you will reap what it is that you sow. So if you sow in faith, you're going to reap miracles. That if you sow in faith, believing that God's going to do the exceeding and abundantly. That if you sow in faith, believing that it's going to cause it to spring up, to grow up, and to produce an abundant harvest. My life is proof positive of that. This young man's miraculous healing is proof positive of that. And so I'm encouraging you today. Wherever, and I put it on, I put it as a post today. I see it didn't get many acknowledgments, and that's okay. I didn't do it so it can be acknowledged. I'm sure that some somebody read it and, and, and practiced it. Is that I want you to say each day, today I will manifest that which I believe by faith. Therefore, I decree and declare and go into a list of declarations and then accompany scriptures behind it. You want an example of it? All right, cool. So today I will manifest that which I believe by faith. Therefore, I decree and declare that all of my needs are met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I decree and declare that my family walks in health and healing because health and healing is the children's bread. In our pathway is life and that there is no death. We thank God, the scripture says, and the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. We thank God according to his word in Isaiah 53 and 5, that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes that 
we are healed. We thank God according to 2 Peter 2 and 24 that with his stripes ye were healed. We thank God according to his word that wealth and riches shall be in my house. That my seed, that we shall increase more and more, us and our seed. We thank God that our family is blessed to a thousand generations because we have a covenant with God. We thank God according to Exodus 34 and 10 that God is getting ready to do some things that have never been done before in our family. We thank God according to Isaiah 55 and 11 that the words that I'm speaking that so shall my word be that go forth out of my mouth it shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper where unto the thing it has been sent. We decree and declare according to the word of God that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. We see when you go into those scriptural declarations, it's not just about mental ascension of decreeing and declaring uh, these vague and nebulous things. It is specific things according to the word of God. We decree and declare that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. I decree that I am the just. How have I been justified? I have been justified by faith through Christ Jesus. You know, and you begin to declare those things and you say it every single day. I have been making a declaration that I am an international speaker that shall speak on all seven continents. That will be able to bring the message of the gospel with integrity. I won't have to compromise and or modify my message. I'll be able to speak it with integrity and boldness that the word of God through me is bringing change in the lives of those who hear. Period. Those are declarations that you make by faith that are coupled with scripture. Find you a scripture. Find one. Just find one scripture. I'm telling you, Isaiah 55 and 11, uh, one of our missionaries at our church, she would get up and she would quote that and quote that and quote that and quote that. And I love the word of God. And I was like, man, that is a powerful scripture. Got it. And then one of the elders at the church, he quotes Ephesians 3 and 20. Got it. Uh, talking about uh, as far as knowing my purpose, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And talking about how he's ordained uh, us to be prophets, to speak his word. I'm not talking about the office. I'm, well, not referring to the office for everybody. But I'm talking about being able to proclaim the word of God. You have a responsibility to speak. When God created you, he created you a life-speaking spirit. That is why out of your mouth, the words that you speak, your tongue, your tongue is power of life and death. If you were not a spirit, you wouldn't have the ability to decree. It is a spirit. You are a spirit having a natural experience, processing it through the soulish realm. That's why you got to get your soul right. Back in the day, they used to tell people when they were off, get your mind right. That's it. So you are not what has happened to you. Uh, the challenges that you are facing. They are there for your making. It will develop you. Please think for yourself. If the masses are going one direction, you need to pause for a second and figure out what lie was told that leads them that way. Uh, that is something that is scriptural. It's out of Proverbs. When it talks about when trouble is going that way, and you see the masses heading that way, that you need to go the opposite direction. And we saw that this week. Make sure that you are fully informed before you take action. And you know what? That is produced. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's called patience. When you think for yourself, you begin to develop a level of patience. 
I didn't have patience. I, I People credit me now for being a very patient person, uh, but that took years of work. I was not a patient person. I was taught by a lot of my mentors that I would not even let the grass grow beneath my feet. I was from one project to the next project. I was one goal to the next goal, moving fast, doing this. And there's nothing wrong. Hey, when you when you are younger, I'm still a young man. Don't get it twisted. Uh, when you are younger, I can hear my, my homeboy talking about some, no, you're an OG. You're an um. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they call me. Uh, but, um, and I have a funny story about that. But when you develop patience, uh, the Bible says, after you have done the will of God, you are need patience that you might obtain the promises. So even after you've obeyed, you need to patiently wait. My pastor preached a message and was saying that, especially me, one of the challenges that I had is once I knew the direction, I was gone. Once somebody said go east, I was gone. But I would have the direction, but I wouldn't have the instruction, which means that I wasted a lot of time. I wasted a lot of energy. I wasted a lot of effort. I wasted a lot of money, a lot of resources trying to figure out what to do because I didn't await the instruction. That's where patience and maturity comes in. When you are patient, when you, excuse me, patient and mature, you can get the direction. Then seek the Lord and wait for the instruction. If I didn't say anything else tonight, that is what I want you to do in the midst of these two pandemics. The racial and the social unrest and, and injustice that is occurring and with this global pandemic of COVID-19. Numbers are changing every day. People are talking about we're going back to school. We're not going back to school. We're in person. We're online. Listen, wait for the direction. When you receive the direction, don't move yet. Await the instruction. And then watch this. Think for yourself. Make a decision whether that suits and meets your highest and best need. If it doesn't reach your highest and best need, it is not suitable or actionable for your destiny. People present me opportunities all of the time. There's not a shortage of opportunities. But if it doesn't serve the highest and the greatest good, if it's not just a good idea, but a God idea that manifests my potential, my God-given calling, there's so much work to be done and people want to pull you in seven different directions. If it is not according to what I have been assigned to do, although it may be an opportunity and work that needs to be done, if it is not directly proportionate to what God has called me to do, the work that I'm assigned to do, I will refer that to someone else who is assigned to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not a brain surgeon. Plenty of brains that need to be operated on right now. Shortage of doctors in the hospital. You call me to operate on your brain, that's going to be tragic for you. I didn't say your mind. Now, you call me for your mind, we can have a conversation. Call me for your brain, it's going to be a tragic end. Don't be overwhelmed trying to fulfill every portion of the work. Fulfill your portion of the assignment. We are the body of Christ. And it is time for the foot to stop criticizing the hand. It is time for the eye to stop criticizing the mouth. It is time for 
the body of Christ to unify and realize that within the mission, we have all been given separate assignments. And unless I'm saying something that's going to edify, exhort, and or comfort you, even if it is correction, if I can't speak the truth in love, I have no business speaking. So this is for anybody listening. If you are going to speak the truth, particularly for those of us who are in the body of Christ, and you have an extreme opinion about something that is being done, make sure you are fully informed because that person won't reap a harvest of your words. You will reap a harvest of your words. And although you might be sincere about everything that you are saying, sometimes you can be sincerely wrong. Yeah. If you can't say amen, say ouch. It's for your making. It's for your making. And a lot of things are happening now. It's telling people, showing people about things that they must correct. And that is part of my assignment to edify, to exhort, to comfort, to encourage, to motivate, to inspire. And so what do you see me doing through this podcast? Those things. And when you see me and I'm talking about the great news, it is not to the ignorance or the chagrin of the challenges that I know people are facing. But what I'm telling you is if you change your mind, this was a conference my pastor preached. Change your mind, you can change your life. And so I'm always there inserting seeds of God's word, inserting motivation and inserting encouragement because it is those things that are done in love that will bring about the change that we so desperately want. The change you want cannot occur without the expression of the love of God. And the love of God shows up in many forms. Shows up in many forms. And so as I close out tonight with about a minute or so left, I want to share with you that you are one decision away from activating every gift on your life. And you know what the, the that decision is? It's a strong decision. You say, Ebron, what decision can I make that's going to activate every gift that's on my life? It is a decision to commit. To commit to the work you have been assigned. And if you've been assigned to do the work, God has also coupled it with a grace and he has positioned people to use their power, influence, and ability to help you. You want to know sometimes why the, why the help is not showing up? Because you're not doing the work you are assigned. And God is never going to pour resources or help in a direction that he did not destine. I know I've kicked down some doors in my life and felt very proud about kicking down the doors. And I'm not, I'm not talking about diligence and doing work. I'm talking about grinding it out, kicking down doors and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. When the reality of it is, is you need to go to where that open and effectual door is. There are many are the adversaries there, but he's created for you an open and effectual door. He's already prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He's positioned somewhere, a place of favor where the door is wide open. He's waiting for you to hear the direction and follow the instruction. So your future is not behind you. It is not before you. It is within you. 
I'm Andre Ebron, and I have so appreciated your time tonight. Uh, anytime that you decide to yield your most appreciable gift and asset you have, which is your time, I thank you for that. And I pray that you've received something from this, and I hope that you continue to support us as we do the work of the Lord of inspiring, motivating, and transforming, encouraging, uplifting, exhorting, edifying, and comforting. And so I just pray God's blessings over you for the rest of the week and that whatever you set your hands to do according to scripture, that God would make it to prosper in Jesus name. God bless you.